Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Hi there, ladies and gents. Welcome to the Sophisticated Property Investment podcast with me, Frank Flegg. And today we have a very special guest. We have Amanda Jarvis Doyle, who you will know as the country owner for England and Wales, EPP. But we also have Dr. Ivan Meisner. Ivan, welcome to our show. How are you, sir? Thank you. I am doing fantastic. I appreciate your invitation. Oh, looking forward to this conversation lots. So the audience, our, our listeners, will be very familiar with BNI. So I've been a member for eight years. I ran a territory for three years in addition to that, Nottinghamshire and Lincolnshire in England. And Amanda has been a, a member now. For how many years have you been a member for, Amanda? I'm into my sixth year of membership now. So There we go. There we go. So we're raving yeah, fans of... I'm impressed with you both. <laughs> there we go. We're raving fans of BNI. We've had Charlie Lawson as the UK leader. For those of you that don't know, Charlie and uh, Tim head up the UK BNI. So we've had him on the podcast, Ivan. So what we wanted to do is rather than talk at quite a superficial level about why property investors should be in local BNI groups, EPP, our organisations, Ethical Property Partners, we have a strategic link with BNI UK HQ. So all of our franchisees get to work with Catherine in the office there and they get introduced to the most appropriate groups for them, the most appropriate chapters for them in their local area. So our listeners are familiar with BNI, they're familiar with why they should be networking. But Amanda and I have invited you on to to talk about some of your journey, if that's okay, Ivan. Whatever you would like to talk about, I am I am here to uh, answer whatever questions you've got. Amazing, thank you. I think you know. I I actually have a business that's older than BNI. Ah, I did know that because I've read nearly every one of your books. Maybe not the most recent ones, but so tell us about that. Tell us about your the the inception of BNI, the business that was before it, and 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 what your current interests are. That'd be amazing. Let's start with BNI. I started BNI in 1985. I was looking for referrals for my consulting practice, and I put together a group of people that I knew and trusted, and I was willing to refer them. I hoped that they would be willing to do the same for me. I'd like to tell you that I had this vision of an international organization with over 10,000 groups all around the world, but I just needed some referrals. What I discovered was a lot of people need referrals, and people came to that first group pretty quickly and said, gee, this is great, but I can't join because as you know, in BNI, we only take one person per professional classification. Mm-hmm. Her classification was taken and she said, hey, would you help me open up my own group? And I actually said, no, <laughs> I'm a business consultant. I, I don't run networks. And she said, well, this is kind of consulting. You know, you're helping me build my business. And I'm like, that's a stretch, but okay. <laughs> and uh, we, we opened the second chapter. And at the second chapter, people came who couldn't join because of a conflict in classification. And they asked me to open up groups. Um, by the end of the year, I had 20 groups that I wasn't trying. And that's when I realized I had struck a chord in the business community. I realized that we don't teach this in colleges and universities anywhere in the world and that there needed to be a system and a process in place. And we needed to educate people on how to network effectively because most people use networking as a face-to-face cold calling opportunity. And so I created the plan to scale BNI. We now have, uh, as of this morning, 10,801 chapters in uh, more than 76 countries around the world. I'm pretty sure that in 2010, when I ceased to be a um, territory um, runner, I don't know what the uh, official term is, but when I ceased to run the territory, um, I think it was in the 50s, it was 50 something, I seem to remember. So you've added 20 20 new countries in the last uh, 10 years, the last 12 years. That's incredible. I love that you know your numbers as well, Ivan. That's impressive. (laughs) You got to know your numbers. If you want to scale a business, you have to know your numbers. I get a daily report five days a week with the exact number of chapters and the exact number of members. That's amazing. So I know every day how many members we have. God, you've still got your finger on the pulse. I have reams of questions to ask you, so we'll only scratch the surface. Now, do you want me to talk about the property business? I'd love you to. Thank you. It's actually older than B&I. In 1982, I um, bought a piece of property that I intended to, I lived in it for a little while, but I intended to buy a bigger place and then uh, convert that condo that I bought into a rental. And I, I, ironically, I did it because I got a $5,000 student loan for graduate school, which is a strange story. 
But I went to a private university for my master's and doctorate at the University of Southern California, USC. And um, it was very expensive for me. And, and so I worked all summer trying to earn enough money to, to pay for most of the year. And at the same time, I, took a, I applied for a student loan. And I didn't know how easy they were or how difficult they were to get. And, um, and I worked all summer and I made 5000 and I got the student loan for 5000 So I thought, okay, what do I do now? Because I could use this 5000 that I earned for school or I could do something with this 5000 that I earned and take the student loan. And so I took the student loan and I took the $5,000 and it became uh, part of the deposit for a condo uh, that I purchased. I was 25 years old and I purchased this condo, which then I started to rent out about two and a half years, three years later. But a few years after that, I flipped it. Now in the United States, we have what's called a 1031 exchange. You may have something like that in the United Kingdom. If you sell a rental and you buy a rental with that money, there's no tax event. It rolls over. Do you have anything like that in the UK? Do you know what? Uh, I mean, you're going to laugh at this. So part of my role is studying other countries and predominantly it's Australia and the US. The US, I reckon, is about 10 years ahead of us in the UK in terms yeah. of sophistication. And we have nothing like that to the best of my knowledge. It hurts me. Every time I sell a property and reinvest, oh, I get I, I get hammered for I capital hate, gains. <laughs> I hate hearing that. But in, in the US, you can flip it for a larger property and not pay any capital gains now, eventually, when you sell all your properties, you're going to pay capital gains and it's going to be a big number. But as you grow, it, as you roll it over, it, you don't pay any capital gains. So I, I took that condo and I bought a home up in the mountains, a vacation home to rent. I flipped that on a 1031 exchange for a bigger vacation home in the mountains. I flipped that for two homes now mortgage-free in Austin, Texas. And I eventually flipped that for half of a $1.5 million commercial building that I built in Dripping Springs, Texas. So that $5,000 student loan, now it took me 39 years, <laughs> okay, 38, 38 years, but that $5,000 student loan ended up becoming $1.5 million invested in a new building that cost me $3 million to build. It was all tax-free if I ever sell that $3 million building, I'm going to have a, a pretty big capital gains, but that'll be later. Absolutely. Hopefully we'll get that at some point in the UK. <laughs> Our taxes seem to be regressing though, rather than progressing at the moment, but we'll see. They all are. Yeah, that's it. Well, the governments have got to get their money back from somewhere, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. So you touched on, and Amanda, feel free to jump in. I know you've got a long yeah. list of questions as well. Um, Ivan, you touched on the fact that there was no networking education at school. Uh, or at university or at college and and obviously in the introduction our listeners would have picked up on the fact that your doctor Ivan Meisner what was it that prompted you to go and get that doctorate because I'll be honest I've always fancied doing it I um I went to university I trained to be a teacher um yeah. I teach every day I teach people to invest in property and I believe now my memory might be failing me here, but you went and did a doctorate in networking. Is that right? My doctoral dissertation was on networking. Ah, okay. Uh, but no, I, the, the, it was, uh, the specialty was organizational behavior and leadership. Those were the two areas of specialization. Okay. Uh, but or, organizational behavior. Um, and, and no, there is no, there is no college classes to speak of. I've seen one or two in the last 38 years, but they, you know, they're not common. Um, on networking. There just aren't any. You know, I did a survey of 12,000 people that ended up being in uh, one of my books on uh, the difference between men and women and how they network. But I did a survey of 12,000 people. And one of the questions I asked was, has networking played a role in your success? And 91.2% of the respondents said yes. Now, when have you ever seen 91% of any group <laughs> of people agree to anything? Ever? I don't think I ever have yet. It's amazing. No, it, How did you yeah. choose the twelve thousand? Were they all networkers? Well, they, they were, it was open to the public, oh, so it wasn't. Being, it wasn't just being I member. Wow! It was. It was a public survey cool. that I promoted uh, on social media, and in my blog, and on Entrepreneur, and um, so I just had all kinds of people from all over the world take the survey. 
And 91% of them said um, networking's played a role in their success. Yet, we don't teach this mm. in colleges and universities anywhere in the world. It, it is mind-boggling mm. to me. I understand why. Um, the reason is that uh, universities are controlled, the courses are controlled by full-time tenured professors, not adjuncts. I, I'm an adjunct professor for Concordia University okay. um, in uh, MBA program teaching leadership. But adjuncts have no control over the curriculum. They can control what's taught in a class, but it's they, they can't control the class. You know, so the, the, the full-time tenured professors create the course. So here's the problem with that. Most full-time tenured professors in business have never, ever, ever run a business. <laughs> they teach business. Yeah. They've never run a business. Now, they get mad when I say that because they'll say, no, no, I'm a consultant. I'm sorry. It's not the <laughs> no, same. No, it's not. I was a consultant. You know, when my client was having a horrible time, I was able to go home still and sleep well at night. <laughs> it wasn't, when it, when it comes right down to it, it wasn't my problem. I was there to help him or her, but, you know, I could sleep just fine at night. They couldn't. Mm. So um, running a business is way different. And, and full-time tenured professors um, control the curriculum. And that's why it's unlikely to be in most universities for Anytime soon. Absolutely. That makes sense. You did ask me one question that I never quite got to, and that's why I did the doctorate. That, that, was, that was going to be my follow-up question, uh, Ivan. Yeah. Why did you? Yeah, I did it for a silly reason, to be honest with you. I had planned on going to law school uh, after my bachelor's degree. And at the last minute, I was accepted to law school. At the last minute, I changed my mind. If I had to pinpoint why, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I can tell you. Except I just, it was no longer my passion. And so I said, I'm not going to do that. So... <laughs> It's a really, it's a silly reason to do a doctoral degree. I was, I felt disappointed because I had always, I felt disappointed in myself because I had always planned on going to law school. And so I thought, well, what could I do that I really want to do a field that I really enjoy that would be just as tough <laughs> to just to prove to myself that I could have done law school if I wanted to do law school. So I went for a doctoral degree <laughs> and I'm glad I did <laughs> I love the honesty, Ivan, because I was going to phrase that question in a few different ways. And one of my one of my uh, options was to say, was it just because you wanted to be called a doctor? <laughs> and in a way, it was. That's amazing. I love it. Thank you. Well, it, it was. It wasn't just that. I it, it really was that um, that I wanted to prove to myself that I could, I could uh, get. You know, I I could have gotten a law degree if I wanted to get mm. a law degree. But but to be honest with you. The, the doctor uh, handle is kind of cool. I think that leads into one of the questions that I, I wanted to ask you. Um, we, we spend a lot of time at EPP uh, talking to our clients and helping them uh, with mindset and have a positive mindset. So how do you stay positive? Um, or has it been something that you have struggled with over the years, even with your huge wealth and success? Has happiness always been something that... Um, has been a given or have you had to work at it? First of all, I'm not, I'm not sure I'd say huge wealth. <laughs> Certainly, I, I could I could retire just on my real estate business. So, okay, fair enough. But I've managed to acquire about 12 commercial buildings over the last uh, 39 years. Um, as, as being positive, does it come natural? Oh, heck no, definitely not. It's something that I think most people have to work on. Like everyone else, I've, I've been depressed. I've had um, massive challenges in my life. I've talked about this a little in the past. Um, there was one point in my life where um, I was calling attorneys to, uh, I was calling bankruptcy attorneys because I thought I'd have to file bankruptcy. You know, that was a pretty pretty depressing <laughs> period of time. Um, and, you know, there were times at one point I had a $1 million line of credit out. Um, because I was trying to develop an online platform, which you guys know as BNI Connect, which was it was a it was a black hole um, for the longest time, and so there were very very difficult times uh, in my life. And of course, you may or may not know, I lost my wife of thirty one years um, two years ago, and of course, you know that that's a level of grief that no one understands unless they've lost their spouse. Mm. It's just a, a, a deep, dark hole of grief. Uh, I, I ended up, uh, and I'd recommend this to everyone, you know, you either need to get counseling or join a grief group. I, I joined a grief group, which is online. Um, 
you'll love the name of this group. Widow We Do Now. <laughs> I do like that. <laughs> Such a brilliant name, Widow We Do Now. And it's open to men and women. They have a podcast, widowwedonow.com uh, podcast. And then they have a private Facebook page. And if anyone listening to this has lost a spouse, uh, you can join, but you do have to show, they're going to require that you show an obituary because there are people out there, unfortunately, mostly men who are trying to um, take advantage of widows. And so they require that everyone show an obituary, which I think is a great level of screening to get in. I say all of that to tell you, um, oh, heck yeah, I've, I've, I've not always been motivated uh, and have dealt with grief and depression. I mean, not clinical depression, but depression like, like most people, I think, go through. I have talked about this, though, and I've talked about five things that I do uh, or try to do when I recognize that I'm in one of those places. First and foremost, minimize contact with negative people. When I am having challenges and not being motivated or feeling a bit depressed, I just don't deal with negative people. I put them off to somebody else to handle for a while. You can't do it completely, but you can, you can do it to a large extent. I mean, for example, I've had cancer. That's certainly depressing. When negative people were reaching out to me for some issue, I'd just say, hey, look, I'm dealing with, you know, I'm dealing with treatments right now. You're going to need to talk to so-and-so. And, you know, so you put them to other people appropriately. It's amazing how people will complain as though it's an Olympic event. And it's not. I've looked. There is no <laughs> Olympic event. In there. And so I minimize contact with negative people. That's number one. Number two, I maximize time with people that refuel me. Yeah. Uh, I think people are either engines or anchors in your life. Engines drive you forward to be your best self. Anchors just bring you down. So I, I look for engines, people who uh, I really enjoy spending time with. I read, listen, and watch, number three, positive things. I cut out negative things. I remember when I was first diagnosed with cancer 10 years ago, I had a television show that I really loved, but it was dark, really dark. And I just stopped w watching it because I just like, you know, I don't, I don't need that in my head mm -hmm. right now. I don't that darkness in my head. I'm in a bad place. I've got a serious disease. I've got to, I've been diagnosed with a serious disease. I've got to, I can't have this in my head. So I'd start watching stand-up comedians <laughs> or you know, funny shows. I'd go to bed laughing. Um, I was never into the cat videos, but maybe a couple of little baby videos. Those were funny. So I would put, oh, and microdose the news. I don't know what it's like in the UK, UK, but let me tell you in the US, it's horrible. They should not be calling them news stations. They really should be called opinion stations. They're just opinions and they wind you up. Uh, believe it or not, well, I, I don't watch the news anymore. I will read apps. And believe it or not, uh, the app I read the most with the news is the BBC. It's, <laughs> it's way less bias than US networks. So I, I microdose the news because they just want to wind you up. Number four, I prioritize things that I want to do and the things I must do. Um, I make a list and, um, and then number five, I, I, I eat the elephant one bite at a time. I take that list, you know, it's long. And when I look at it, I think, Oh God, there's so much that has to be done. But then at the end of the day, oh, and I start with the low hanging fruit, whatever's easy, I'll do that. So at the end of the first day, I might have six or seven things done off my list. And I'm like, okay, I feel better. I feel better. <laughs> and so the next day is better. The next day is better. So those are the five things that I do with some add-on addendums in there. <laughs> Thank you for sharing those. We, um, we, as I said, we spend a lot of time on mindset. And one of the first things that um, when I, Frank, became my mentor eight, nine years ago, Frank, one of the first things you said to me was stop watching the news. Yeah. If it's important enough, somebody will tell you about it. And yeah. I've literally barely partaken in any news watching since that moment and you're quite correct the amount of, of positivity you can take from not having that negativity in your life is uh, is quite incredible by the way there's a there's an app I, I i do read the apps because i can pick and choose uh i mean for example when queen elizabeth passed away i don't know if you know this but it was all over american media and really positive yeah. Um, 
There were tribute shows. I, I mean, I was flipping channels one day. <laughs> it was one tribute show after another tribute show uh, to the Queen. And uh, I, I found that amazing and very, very interesting. I learned a lot about her. Uh, but there's an app called the Good News Network. Um, and I, I read that uh, at least once a week. Uh, it, there's not a lot, you know, they only post something like once a day on there because it's, it's a, you know, not, not a highly funded uh, program, but I highly recommend the Good News Network. Perfect. So I've made a note of that one. Thank you. And one last thing. I think hope is more powerful than fear. Hope plus a plan and then taking action will resolve most issues that people have to address. But it begins with hope. If you don't have hope about being able to change your situation, then you're never going to be able to change your situation. I remember the email that came out from you. I think it was personally from you about that line of credit, that million dollar. I remember you saying um, words to the effect of, I think this this came out to uh, franchisees. Um, yeah. Uh, BNI franchisees, and uh, it said something like, "I've taken out a line of credit; it's a million dollars, and that's been going on for X amount of time. I seem to remember it's twelve or, or eighteen months or something. Um, but looking back, boy, wasn't that good timing with what we've just been through <laughs> to have built that yes. up and had that in place? You know, what a what a competitive advantage that must have given BNI. If we had not started really moving to online technologies, we we wouldn't have survived. And BNI Connect was certainly the beginning of that. Mm. My chapter. Yeah is the only chapter in Derbyshire that has decided to go back to face-to-face, which is yeah. I'm a huge fan of. Um, I think that relationships are far stronger if you can, if you can build them um, in person. But had we not had BNI Connect, had we not had Zoom, um, you know, as you say, Ivan, the, you know, the business would have folded. Um, I predicted the move to online in an article I wrote in 2018, 2018 for entrepreneur.com. Um, I forget the exact title, but it was basically the, the future of face-to-face is online. Hmm. And I remember a director's uh, <laughs> being apoplectic, like, oh my God, you know, the founder has lost it. He's getting <laughs> old now. You know? So uh, <laughs> they were not happy. But I was talking about technology and the advancement of technology and how technology is advancing so quickly that we're going to have holographic imaging and 3D technology, metaverse Um mixed reality, and it's inevitable. Over time, we're going to transition to, if not 100% online, some version of a hybrid online. I didn't see COVID coming, but I'd like to think that I at least planted the seed that um, this is this is kind of inevitable. And when you think about it, if we want millennials and centennials or Gen Z to participate in BNI, this technology is a no-brainer for them. You're certainly very forward thinking, um, Ivan. Am I correct in thinking, I've read somewhere, that you are booked onto a Virgin flight to the moon? Well, not to the moon, uh, just a suborbital flight. They're not doing moon shots yet. And I actually signed up in 2007, when, by the way, it was a lot less money. (laughs) I had had an opportunity to go to Necker Island for the first time. I've been there now four times. Um, I had an opportunity to go the first time in 2007. I met Richard Branson. And um, one night he said, "Um, you guys want to see something interesting? And we're like, yeah, of course. Billionaire says, it's interesting. Yeah. So he pops in this DVD and it's this crazy idea of building a ship, um, actually using the technology from the X Prize, where the X Prize, the original X Prize, was to uh, launch uh, suborbital and then within 30 days launch the same ship again. Ship one and Virgin Galactic invested in the technology, and so he said, "We're gonna we're gonna start um, sending commercially astronauts into space, uh, suborbital and, and return." on in, in, in this vehicle that's like a glider. We were like sitting there in awe as he showed this pretty marginal graphics, but we understood the concept really well. And uh, he showed it to us and he, for whatever reason, he looked at me and he said, you should do this. And he pointed at me, he said, you should do this. And I raised my hand and I said, I'm in. <laughs> and of course my wife, I look over at my wife and she's sitting there with her mouth wide open, like what? Like, yep, I'm in, I'm going. 
And so I signed up back in 2007. We've gotten to do some really cool things. Uh, you know, I've gotten to go back to Necker now three additional times, and then and then I'm going back again in February. Uh, people that are future astronauts with Virgin Galactic, and we did a trip to Antarctica uh, last November, December. So I've, I've now been to all seven continents of the world. That was pretty amazing. So they've created a, a community, have they, of their future astronauts, Ivan? That's exactly what they've done. What a good idea. They'll have a Virgin Galactic Week on Necker Island. They'll, they'll do the Antarctic trip. They do tours of the spaceport, not airport, spaceport in New Mexico. <laughs> Um, and you know, they, they do, they do, um, uh, they do trips to watch a, a total solar eclipses and, and it's really funny cause every time I've gone to one of these events, they've been, oh, they, they do rollouts, you know, of the white night, the spaceship, when they roll them out in Mojave that we get invited. Every time I've seen them on Necker, they're apologizing for taking so long. It's taking a lot longer. And I'm like, no, no, don't apologize. You guys keep inviting me to these really cool things. <laughs> Once you're starting to run, I'm not sure we're going to get invited to these cool things. So I'm, I'm, I'm good. Oh, that's a good idea. It's a good way of keeping people in the queue happy, isn't it? What a great idea. <laughs> really what's, what's the um, most recent uh, ETA then? When are they expecting to um, for you to fly? You know, the last I heard was um, hopefully December. Um, to be honest, they've kind of not hit any of their deadlines. <laughs> So if I had to guess, I would guess it'll be next year. Um, my astronaut number is 142. And so I will be in the first 30, 35 flights. You know, I never, ever thought, because I was not, you know, I wasn't a scientist. I wasn't into mathematics, you know, or, or the science, an engineer, you know, that astronauts. I wasn't in the military. So I never really thought I'd be an astronaut. Um, so having the opportunity to get, you know, Virgin Galactic astronaut wings is <laughs> That's amazing. darn cool. I, um, when I'm teaching goal setting, Ivan, I, I always used to say, no matter where you are in terms of age, financial resources, education, whatever, no matter what your goal is, there will be someone in the world that has achieved it who's been in a worse off starting position than you. They'll be older, they'll have less money or whatever. <laughs> and... Um, and I used to throw in the joke, you know, unless you want to be an astronaut, um, you might have left it a bit late, given that I'm mostly t t talking to middle-aged people. Um, but now you can't even say that. Now, actually, they could. No. They could go earn a chunk of money and, and go do it. So, uh, yeah, I don't say it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's uh, very true. And the, here's the irony, because this is a, a property show. It was my property investments that allowed me to do it. I have taken all my profits from my dozen commercial properties. And um, I buy art and I um, do things like, um, you know, travel to amazing places. And this is my next question, actually. I have my, my next question relates to risk. How do you gauge your own risk? Because I have to admit, looking at the progression from that condo to the vacation home in the, the mountains and then to the two properties in um, Texas and then to the the one the three million commercial building that you built and now to 12 um, it's a it's a fantastic um, progression and and development uh, I don't know the value of the uh, the 12 that you own but it doesn't strike me as massively aggressive and that might be because you were massively aggressive in BNI but I just wondered how, how looking back on that journey how would you gauge your attitude to risk, um, comfort with lending, um, aggressiveness? Well, when it comes to the property, I was not um, very risky. Um, you know, it was a slow growth. The, the commercial properties I have all, are almost all multi-tenant. So, you know, I probably have a hundred tenants in the various commercial properties, um, maybe more. I don't know. I've never actually counted them up. You know, it was a slow growth. My goal professionally is to help business people be more successful. So the property uh, business was really my fun money. <laughs> um, and, and so I was slow growth. And um, what I've, what I've done now is I've actually, this is really complex. I have legacy trusts. I basically sold my real estate company to the legacy trust. Oh, okay which my children will someday have. And so now I just get a monthly check 
but I I own um, all the vote. I own all the voting shares of the real estate business. <laughs> so I, I still control the real estate business. Now we're getting really complex here. I still control the real estate business, but um, I I basically sold it ninety seven percent of it to the to the trust, and so I just get a monthly check that is very nice, and uh, I just do fun things with it. Um, so I did that over you know that was. It was a long time, almost 40 years. So um, it was conservative. BNI, I definitely took more risk and had to in order for it to scale properly. You know, I, I took a mortgage out of my house uh, once, and then I took that line of credit that you mentioned earlier. And, you know, I invested a lot of money into that. BNI, BNI Connect was a black hole. <laughs> definitely took more risk in BNI. But, but I would say calculated risk. I never did anything where I thought, I, I really think I'm going to lose this. I always thought, um, I think I can do this, and this is how I think I can do it. And I always had a plan. Now, of course, a plan, you know, as soon as as soon as you take the first step in the plan, something gets screwed up. So you, you got to be prepared. You got to be prepared to to, to address that. Um, but uh, I, I took more risk, I think, with growing BNI. With real estate, if you're in it for the long haul, then it's hard to lose money because I never had to sell. I was never in a position where the real estate market had bottomed out and I had to sell. And then as the business grew, I just paid off my mortgages. So they're all mortgage free. The UK market has um, protected buy-to-let investors to a degree because they insist that if you're investing now in a buy-to-let property in in, um, the UK, you have to have a minimum of 25 or uh, well, sometimes you can get 20% deposits. So there's built in a margin for the market dropping or, um, yeah. you know, that's, so they've, they've built in this protection. That's similar in the US. It, it's, um, it, it's much easier to get a, a, buy a property with 20% down. If you don't have 20% down, you have in the US what's called PMI, private mortgage insurance, which is an additional insurance to make sure that if you um, go belly up, the mortgage company is insured. Uh, which, by the way, the only time I had to get PMI was that first condo. I had a few thousand dollars plus the five, and that wasn't 20%. So I had to get PMI on the first property I bought, but never any future ones. Ivan, in terms of your business, and you've mentioned this um, just, just, just now, you never took any decisions that you felt were betting the farm, you know, that were jeopardizing the entire future of, of BNI. Um, I have met with a few different uh, business leaders of, of, of your caliber. Probably the one that I know best is Brad Sugars. My wife was an action coach for nine years. And so I've, I've chatted. I know Brad. You, you do. You've got a, you've got a um, global alliance, haven't you? BNI and action coach. Yes. Yeah. I, I, thought, I met Brad many years ago. I met him several times. Spoke at their convention a couple of times. I, I thought so. Yeah. So he has shared um, publicly, so I'm not disclosing anything that no one uh, can't find out for themselves, that he started action coach and, and was grown it quite aggressively and put in managers I think he bought in a manager for Australia and then he bought in as like a global manager too early and he stepped away from the business for a year and he, he in his own words it went to shit now <laughs> probably an over exaggeration <laughs> but he then stepped back in and I, and I my understanding is he's been a lot more involved ever since from looking from afar at your journey, you've seen, you know, and you've said it today, you, you, you get daily stats on every, every member and every chapter. How have you approached that in terms of leverage? Have you been tempted to, to leverage more? Have you felt the need to stay, you know, in control? I, I know you, I seem to remember when I was involved, which was 2009, 2010-ish, um, you bought in a CEO. I think that was the first time, not sure. So how have you found that journey in terms of of bringing others in and stepping back and then stepping in. I did have a CEO for a while, uh, Norm Dominguez, wonderful guy, love Norm. I just had a conversation with him yesterday. Um, he, he did a great job for me. Um, I would say, you know, I was kind of co-CEO because <laughs> the, the big decisions I was still involved in. I was trying to withdraw, but I, I, I used to joke around, BNI Connect was so difficult, that, that online platform. I mean, when you think about it, people that are listening that aren't involved in BNI, imagine creating you know, a, a, a smaller version of LinkedIn without venture capital. 
And do, do you know the thing that I really empathise with, Ivan, during that process, because that was happening when I was a member and then when I was uh, yeah. doing the tech show. Every single web designer in every chapter that I came across was saying how easy it was. They were like, oh, it's not that difficult. You know? and, and you guys, we, I think we had a training once um, at the UK level. And the, the guy that Charlie and Tim brought in said, just when you hear that from your local web designer, know that it's over a thousand unique pages. <laughs> They're like saying they'll yeah. knock it up in a week, you know. So I really felt for you guys at that time. You bring up a funny point. I had a guy that some he got through to me and he was like, I can do this. I can do this way easier, way quicker, and I'm sure for less money. And I said, okay, well, have you seen the BRS? He said, what's a BRS? I said, it's the <laughs> business requirement specifications. He said, no. I said, let me let me send you a PDF of it. It's pretty large. And it was like close to a thousand pages. And he, <laughs> I sent it to him within two hours. He wrote me back and said, yeah, never mind. I can't do this. I can't do this. So uh, yeah, it was incredibly complex. It's what we needed to do. I'm glad we did it. Oh, I, I was saying with BNN Connect, what happened was I was gradually pulling myself out of the day-to-day -day management. But I, I, it got to the point where I kept saying, BNI Connect is a little like Godfather Part 3. <laughs> Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. <laughs> I was like, oh. So um, finally got BNI Connect out and was working reasonably well. Uh, and eight years ago, I don't know if you know this or not, but in 2014, I brought in partners into BNI. And that was the big step. So I no longer run the day-to-day -day management at all. I'm on the board. I still own uh, a piece of BNI. Um, but I've kind of gone from being King Arthur, leading the charge, to being Colonel Sanders, <laughs> being the spokesperson for the organization. And I'm happy, happy, happy that I've made that transition. I think an entrepreneur is either working in their flame or working in their wax. And when they're in their flame, they're on fire. They love what they're doing. When they're in their wax, it's taking all their energy away. And so things like this, this interview, which, by the way, I've talked way more about real estate than I've talked about in I think any other interview I've ever done. <laughs> Most BNI members don't even know I own a real estate company that's older. But this is my flame. I love to to do interviews and to speak. And in terms of that balance, um, Ivan, and uh, you can disclose your age at this point or not. It's completely up to you. But um, how many hours do you spend in a, in a week, in a month, in your real estate business, in BNI, in any other um, investment or business interests that you have? Well, I like to joke around <clears throat> that I'm uh, semi-retired in BNI. I'm down to 40 hours a week. <laughs> I'm down to four days a week. I work four days a week. But when you're the founder of a company, <laughs> you're, you're working in the evening sometimes or on weekend. But I'm doing stuff I love. So it doesn't bother me. Yeah, I work four days a week with BNI. I probably put in two hours a week at most with my property business. And right now, the truth is I'm making like four times as much money on real estate than I do uh, with BNI, but um, but I have a manager who who runs the business completely. The one thing I've hung on to um, is I I still I still pay the bills. What do you mean by that? You you check all the invoices the bills for, for the property management company, not for BNI. No, no, okay. But for the property management company, all the bills come to you for sign off before they get paid. They go through the property manager, and I eyeball every one of them, and I I cut the check digitally online. I had somebody embezzle money from me once, so uh, okay. I, I've kind of hung on to that. It's fascinating, isn't it? That's a, to me, that's a high level of um, of, of control, um, but but it, of, of a multi-million pound property company. But it's successful for you, and, and I think that's. It takes me an hour a week mm. to to cut the checks because I've got a, I've got a system in place, and it's all online. It's all digital. You know, a two-hour week is a busy week. For me, for the property um, and then you know, I may do I do one call a month with the manager. Okay, um, and he walks through all the problems, and I may deal with a handful of emails about stuff that's gone wrong that he's taken care of. But I really, I, I, one or two hours a week is all I put in on the property business anymore. But again, remember, I've been doing it for. 40 years. Yeah. And, it, and it, the, the profits compound. That's fascinating to know that that's 80, 80 odd percent of your income as well. It's fascinating. Um, yeah. What was the magnitude of the embezzlement, if you don't mind me asking? And I'm, I'm not being nosy. It was, it was six figures. It was about 100,000. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and one of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast, we have we have a lot of sophisticated investors, quite experienced investors, but we also have a lot of newbies uh, listening. And one of the things we talk about, which is what Tony Robbins uh, talks about a lot, is the size of your problems grow as as you become bigger and more able to to cope with them. And so for some people that would that would sink them 100k, and for you it's been a, a painful lesson, isn't it? It was a painful lesson. It happened to be right around the time that uh, I was uh, considering filing bankruptcy. Oh, really? Um, so oh, okay. Sort of a double whammy yeah. for me. And I understood then why I why I was having bigger problems than I should have been having. What's interesting, and I've never thought about this, Frank. You bring up a really good point. Your problems get bigger. And the small problems, they, they don't get bigger, but they continue. So you still have people issues. You still have drama. Yep. You still have all the little stuff and you get bigger problems. So it's, it, it, uh, you get both as the company grows. That's and interesting. Managing that is, um, can be quite draining content. Um, so if, as you spoke about your positivity and what, what, you, you know, what you focus on is it becomes vitally important to make sure that you're focusing in that direction. It's either that or you get callous and, um, you know, separate yourself from your team, which um, is not good. I believe in the old adage that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so you have to, you have to be consistent in showing that you care about the team of people who are working for you. And it's really easy to go down a different road if you're not careful. You need to constantly, I need to constantly remind myself, I need to be present for my people. I need to talk to them. Uh, Tom Peters in a book, really old book, 45 years old, maybe um, called In Search of Excellence. He called it Mumbwa, M-B-W-A, Management by Wandering Around. Before I brought, brought in partners, you know, the headquarters now is in Charlotte. I'm in Austin, Texas. So I, I you know, I don't, not at the office every day, but when I was at the office every day, I would take it at least one day a week and just wander around the office. And then I tied in uh, a concept by Ken Blanchard from the One Minute Manager, putting the One Minute Manager to work, uh, catching people doing something right. Not wrong, but right. So I took those two concepts, mumbo, management by wandering around, and catching people doing something right. And I'd wander around and I'd see somebody doing something right and I would edify them. I would thank them. I would tell them what a good job they're doing. And, you know, that kind of stuff has to continue. So now, I, you know, I only go to headquarters maybe three or four times a year. But I always walk around. I meet every single employee. I shake their hand for the people that I've known for years. I give them a hug. I look them in the eye. I have a short conversation with everyone. You have to have that personal connection. And it's incredible that, you know, that's what people will remember. Um, yeah. I, I remember back to one of my very early jobs. And if I, if from exactly what you've just described, that's it. That's just how the managing director managed. He knew everybody by name. He took the time out to, to pass the time of day with you. Didn't matter whether you were the cleaner or whether you were, you know, a, a team leader or, um, you know, even a director, uh, you could see that he right. treated everybody the same. We loved him. Yeah, I think it's important to have that kind of connection. Um, interestingly enough, just a, an hour and a half ago, maybe two hours ago, in BNI, for the employees of BNI, now there's about 10,000 people that work for BNI worldwide. Uh, in terms of employees of global, it's a couple hundred. But we do something called a boot camp where the employee, the salaried employee or hourly employee uh, has to go through boot camp before they can start their job, which means they have to go to BNI meetings to observe. Um, they need to meet with franchisees by Zoom. They need to meet with staff in person. And the boot camp final is me. And I meet with every new employee for at least 30 minutes mostly by Zoom. Still now, Ivan. Um, Still today you do that. Yeah, I just wow. did it two hours ago. I, I did one with, in India, Bangalore. <laughs> the poor guy was up at, you know, I don't know, it's 10 <laughs> o'clock at night uh, to meet with me. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I meet with every new employee and I do 30 minutes where I have them uh, tell me about BNI's core values. They have to do a little test. I look at the test. I ask them which one their core values they like the most and why. And then they get to ask me questions and, um, you know, nothing's off limits. Ask me any question you want. And they usually have anywhere from a half a dozen to a dozen questions. 
And um, the one I had this morning had a question nobody's ever asked, and that's really rare. Yes, uh, you've got to tell us now. Yeah, I thought you were going to leave it at that, and 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 it was, and that, and that's all I've got time for, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I got to make sure I get the question white right. It was. Um, let me let me pull it up. Um, it do you was, get these in advance, or do they ask you on the who? I usually get them in advance. Um, I don't spend a lot of time. Most of the questions I've already answered a thousand times. Oh, here we go. What do you think about this statement? Uh, according to your life experiences, does planning and logic often take a back seat to passion and commitment? Mm. So he was basically comparing planning and logic to passion and commitment. Nobody's ever asked me that question. <laughs> not certainly not like that. And um, and I told him, I said, "Wow, well done." Nobody nobody's ever asked me a question <laughs> quite like that. So good for you. And my answer to him was. Um, which which would you prefer, your left foot or your right? And he chuckled. And I said, they're both really important. You, you can have a plan, but if you don't have passion in implementing it, it's you're not going to get anywhere. You can have all the passion in the world, and if you don't have a plan, you're not going to get anywhere. And so it really takes both things. I like that answer. Which leg, which foot do you prefer? I like that a lot. <laughs> Ivan, this has been absolutely fascinating. I think we could go on for um, for hours and hours, and we've certainly got loads more questions. So perhaps uh, uh, in a little while we could invite you back on. But um, in the meantime, if our listeners have heard you for the first time, which is entirely possible, um, what's the best place or or way in which they can they can follow you? Well, obviously bni.com. If for anyone who's interested in visiting a BNI group, and you can find the chapters in the UK through that portal. Uh, also, uh, my, my blog, my blog, ivanmeisner.com. Um, I've been blogging for 15 years. I, I've got thousands of posts. They're all free. Um, you know, go, go check out. As a matter of fact, the, the one topic that we talked about today, motivation, staying motivated. Mm. Um, I have a blog on that. So, uh, and, and even the five, the $5,000 student loan, I have, I have a blog <laughs> on that as well. Uh, so both of those are up there. Can I leave you with one last thought before we wrap? Absolutely. We haven't talked a lot about networking, so let me just uh, plant one one seed on networking, and I'm going to say is appropriate to that. Networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. That it's about cultivating relationships with other people. It's not a get rich quick scheme. It's a way to build a solid foundation for a long term successful business. You've heard the term. It's not what you know. It's who you know. Absolutely. I would say it's not either. It's not what you know or who you know. It's how well you know each other. Mm. It really counts. Because if I look at my database, if I pull up my telephone and I look at my contacts, I have some amazing contacts in there. I mean, amazing people. But the question isn't really, are they in a contact? Do I, do I have their contact? The question is, if I called them, <laughs> would they answer the phone for me? And if I asked them for a favor, would they be willing to do it for me. So it's not just who you know, it's how well you know each other. And that's why networking programs like BNI are so important because it's about going deep. hundred percent. It's one of the, when we get new members in my chapter, it's one of the things that I always try and, and explain to people is, you know, this is not a get rich scheme. If you're here and expecting that you're going to earn loads of money within the next two months, then depending on what your business is, you know, some businesses might well do so. But um, a lot of you need to put a lot of time and energy and effort into building the, those long term relationships. Um, you know, getting to know, like and trust somebody is crucially important. And if yeah. you aren't willing to put that in, you can't expect to get the returns. Totally agree. We've covered in a lot of detail why property investors should join BNI, and that's why we suggest all of our partners do. However, I'd love to know the uh, any anecdote, your favorite anecdote from real estate. So, real estate professional anywhere in the world um, where they've done well out of networking and uh, BNI. Yeah, I think one of my favorite real estate uh, stories, and I did a podcast on it years ago, was a commercial real estate agent in Southern California. And I was I was at an awards banquet in Orange County, uh, which is in Southern California. And they were calling up people that had you know done a lot of things in the region, not just a chapter, but the entire region. And I think there were like 400 people at this regional event. The person who had uh, done the most one-to-ones got an award and he had done one-to-ones not only with his chapter, but he had done one-to-ones with other 
chapter members in, in other groups. And so he had done the most one-to-ones. Uh, you know, you, you, the two of you know what it is, but for those of you who don't, it's where you meet with somebody and you talk to them about their business and they talk to you. But And so he had done the most one-to-ones. He got an award. Then um, he, he um, a little while later, uh, was called up again. He got a second award for having given the most referrals in the region. <laughs> and I asked him when he came up, you know, we're doing a photograph, we're smiling for the camera. And I leaned over and I said, there, it's probably not a coincidence that you had the most one-to-ones and gave the most referrals, is it? He said, nope, no coincidence at all. Directly connected. And I said, here's the, here's the question. How did you do? Did you get a lot of referrals? He said, I have been in real estate for 15 years. Now, oh, I forgot the most important part. This was during a recession and real estate market had bottomed out. Okay. <laughs> okay. The real estate market was bad. He said to me, I had my best year ever this year. I said, how, how could that be? How could that be? He said, look, everybody's whining and complaining about how bad business is. So I'm going out and doing one-to-ones. I'm getting referrals. You know, people still need to buy. And real estate's on sale right now. So I'm going to all of my, my investors and I'm getting them to buy. And I'm, I'm telling people, you know, if you know somebody that is an investor, now's the time to buy because it's on sale. And he said, I had my best year ever. That just blew me away. And it, 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 there's several things about that that I love. One is mindset, which you guys brought up. This guy was not going to let the economy dictate his success. And th- the next was commitment. He was highly committed to doing these one-to-ones and helping people with their business. And he ended up having his best year ever when so many other real estate people were going out of business. I love it. What a good story. Absolutely, Ivan. Thank you so much for uh, for sharing and being so generous with uh, with your advice and time today. Really appreciate it. In terms of uh, how well you know people and who will pick up the phone, I will certainly pick up the phone. And if you need a favor, you, you've got two of us here in the UK that are happy to uh, to help in any way we can, Ivan. It's been- an- All right. Well, I'm happy to, happy to be back on anytime. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And it's been a real um, eye-opener, actually. I, didn't, I had no idea you had such an extensive property portfolio. Um, it's been amazing. Guys, I hope you uh, listening have really enjoyed this interview with Dr. Ivan Meisner. As he said, you can find out about your local groups here in the UK on BNI.com. But also, uh, I see the stats on our podcast all around the world. You're now in 76 countries you can find BNI. So there's bound to be a chapter near to you. And also, if you want to follow Ivan Meisner on his blog, IvanMeisner.com, feel free to uh, look him up. Until next time. Happy investing. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment.